happening now. We'd like to welcome our viewers around the United States and the world to the EdTech Situation Room. I am Wes Fryer, and I'm in Oklahoma City, the Director of Technology at Cassidy School, and a busy bee this summer with multiple projects as we're updating our whole student information system and rolling out new hardware and things like that. And I am joined, as always, across the ether waves by the amazing Jason Neifer, who has been relegated to his basement tonight. Good evening, Jason. Good evening, Wes. My name is Jason Neifer, and I am the Assistant Director, Curriculum Director of the Montana Digital Academy, the state virtual school located in fabulous Missoula, Montana, and I'm also the NCCE tech-savvy teacher in residence where I blog and work on social media and do professional development for the good folks at NCCE. Um, how's the weather? And you're... And you're I was going to say, you're not hiding from a tornado down no, there in Montana. No, not hiding from a tornado, but we had a really interesting thing happen the last uh, four or five days. It went from, we had a high of like 52 degrees two or three weeks ago, and then over the weekend, it hit the upper 90s during the day. So we've had a very quick onset of summer here. So um, I'm actually in my basement um, in anticipation of um, um, uh, some house uh, uh, updates, but really, uh, I'm down here because it's a lot cooler. So that's that's the fact of the matter. So there you go. Now, do you guys have air conditioning? We do not. So we're in an older that's home. Yeah, an older home. But and it's nice because you don't usually need it that much, right? Yeah. It'll only be a, f a few days, maybe. Although, who knows? Yeah, June, July, global, August. Global warming. Yeah, it gets. Yeah. It's, it's been a little tougher summer here, and the hard part about. Um, Super warmth in Montana um, is that uh, our state just lights on fire during you know late July, August, early September. So last summer we had we had it wasn't even Montana wildfires here from Idaho and Canada, but uh, thick smoke and ash all over the place, and it's not a pleasant thing. So we're hoping that we had a lot of rain this spring and a pretty good, pretty solid snowpack in most of western Montana. So we're hoping to avoid. Um, the uh, fire that sometimes accompanies um, uh, the um, warm weather here. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we got to 95 yesterday, and it was a beautiful day today, and we seem to have run, uh, run our gauntlet safely, which is our month of May and first week of June as far as our, our tornadoes. So we are not here, though, to principally talk about weather. We're here to talk about EdTech news. And for those of you that uh, whenever you tune in, whether it's live, which – don't think we have anybody live yet, but if we have anybody live or you're just going to catch this after the fact, you can go to our website, edtechsr.com, and click the link that says links. And that's where we are continuing to update a Google Doc with our news items that we would like. So our show basically is comprised of uh, throwing out some news, talking a little bit about the education slant on it, and then going down various rabbit holes, which are entirely unpredictable. Uh, other than the fact that they will occur. So um, we will also have our um, our mysterious corner of oblique facts that, you know, you didn't know about Jason and Wes, but uh, we will keep you with bated breath waiting for that. Um, and if you do hear my dog barking, it is because she is completely wet and I'm not going to let her in our home. So uh, hopefully that's not going to be, be too distracting. So Jason, you want to you wanna kick us off? This week? Sure. Um, let's see. So many excellent things to talk about um, in the tech news this week. Uh, well, first of all, uh, let's start with an article um, that uh, is, is a recurring theme on the show. Um, I'm a big uh, disciple of Dan Willingham, who's the cognitive scientist that wrote uh, Why Don't Students Like School? Really excellent book in 2010. Um, he uh, joins me in believing that uh, learning styles are way overplayed um, in educational psychology. And he's been starting to write more lately on the question of, of the impact of technology in the classroom. And the particular article he posted this week on his blog was new data regarding the use of media in multitasking and its impact on cognition and teens. And uh, there's a link in the show notes to that particular article, which deals with um, a recent study that uh, 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 seemed to confirm that there is some impact on multitasking with media um, on uh, particularly memory um, as it relates to students learning while multi multitasking with distracting media. The interesting thing here, however, though, is that there is a, 
a deeper analysis here. Um, one of the thing I do not try to repeat myself is that oftentimes studies get under um, underreported here. So I would refer interested folks to the the both the blog post from uh, Dr. Willingham and then also the study itself to look a little deeper on on what conclusions it might have drawn. The reason why I mention this this particular week is it's becoming uh, what I would consider to be uh, uh, an important part of um, my teaching of teachers about the integration of technology in the classroom, that we need to be both cognizant and also we need to mentor students in addition to, to offering good modeling to students on the appropriate use of technology. And one of the things we have to be very aware of is, is how distracting technology can be. Um, I know, shocking. It's speaking, of, speaking of distraction, as I'm on my Chromebook, you know, tweeting the link to Daniel's book. Right. I have not read. Uh, yeah, yeah, and by, there you go. by the way, the book is super excellent. It's one of the best books I've ever read about education. And the reason why the book is, is so well thought out is because not only does it provide an excellent overview of the way the brain might work in, in regards to education and the way lessons play out in the classroom, he then provides very distinct strategies on how you as a teacher might utilize this research-based um, information the next day in your classroom. And so it's one of the, the many ways that I've used to judge uh, the quality of lessons that I observe as, as a casual educational observer. It was very useful to me when I was still in the classroom to think about how I might be able to uh, diversify my instruction while still being mindful of, of the, the kind of cognitive psychology that guides the work that we do. And then lately, um, uh, Dr. Moynihan has been very uh, interested and seems to be posting more on the question of how technology might impact all all of this and um, again it's deeper than yes it seems to confirm that there is some impact on multitask when, when someone multitasks um, during a, a time of, of, of a learning activity but uh, certainly something for teachers to um, to be aware of um, I would also note that I, I coupled this this link with uh, my kind of go-to podcast uh, at WNYC's Note to Self, hosted by Manoush Zamarodi. Um, they hosted a great podcast series earlier this year called Info Magical, where they're trying to battle um, uh, uh, digital distraction. And they say in this week's episode that one of the most um, uh, uh, well-liked uh, Parts of that, according to their viewers that participate in the project, was the single tasking part of this and how important it is to start with one task and move to the end. And they repeat some of the really excellent um, interviews with researchers uh, regarding cognitive science and how important it is that we don't use all of these devices around us to distract us. So if you're interested in the topic, I'm kind of giving you a two for this week, a little bit of research and a little bit of suggestion of a solution. So before I respond to that directly, I want to ask you just about research in general. As you are continuing down your doctoral road, do you find yourself looking at, at articles and studies uh, differently with the more critical eye? And how how does that how has that affected, I guess, your view of uh, your view of the news or has it? Um, I would say that the, the biggest impact that on, on me personally is that um, I tend to uh, both dislike um, and and push back against those that, that, that summarize complex studies in one or two sentences in order to justify their advocacy. And I think this is particularly true of, of educational speakers. Um, I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek because we both do that as part of our vocation, but research tends to get somewhat abused in the context of advocacy, and um, I think part of what teachers need to learn to do, and uh, a lot of teachers I know that got tired of hearing that research says have themselves uh, started doing this, but you should go find the source studies and read them yourself. Um, a lot of otherwise great studies have really small um, uh, sample sizes. They, um, You may remember this uh, term from back in your debate days, uh, Wes, they power tag the study, which means that um, they, they may have a headline on the study that is way more um, a simple than the conclusions of the study, and a good researcher always puts things very much in context, and talking about research in one or two bite-sized chunks never does that. So I would say that's been the largest impact since I started working in context of, of an advanced degree. <laughs> You know, you, this ties a little bit to the article that you shared last week about uh, ex-Googler slams designers for making apps addictive like slot machines and then how technology hacks people's minds. Uh, I, I read both of those. Actually, I read those articles after our show, full disclosure, because I'm, I'm getting better. I read more articles <laughs> before the show than I have in the past. But also, you know, watch the TED Talk as far as uh, how choice can paralyze. And my big takeaway from this is... Um, 
and I won't name names, but there's there are some different folks in my life that are real Luddites when it comes to technology. And it kind of seems like the main thing they want to do is whine about how kids these days and these devices and, you know, that it's so bad because we're building the plane while we fly it and we don't know how this is going to affect and all of this. I feel like we all need to become much more intentional and much more strategic and, and, and get our toolbox equipped. And this isn't just a toolbox. It's also our own discipline about how many notifications we're going to allow ourselves to have, how we're going to deal with distraction, right? I mean, this is the world. The world is filled with distraction. It's filled with browser tabs. It's filled with notifications. Um, I know at our school, and my wife has done some of this work as well, um, There, we work on mindfulness and, and specific mindfulness training and really trying to help students be centered. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is the answer isn't to just ban all the screens at school and to say, isn't it horrible that these screens are so powerful and so distracting? I really think a big, a big piece of what we need to do now that we didn't you know, have on our plates 20 years ago was helping students, you know, effectively deal with freedom and make good choices and, and be able to remain focused and not to just do that in, in an authoritarian way. Although obviously we do that in school in a lot of ways, but you know, with what's our oldest child now on the edge of college uh, and thinking about freedom and, and all of those things, you know, you're, you're hoping that you you've helped to equip them with, with not only skills, but just also, you know, self-discipline and, and self-control to make good choices because, um, wow, in, in the world of all of these screens, you know, we, we can choose to multitask or, or, you know, appear to multitask, uh, constantly. And part of the, the takeaway from those articles that you had shared, you know, is why I find myself being oftentimes most productive late in the evening, maybe when notifications aren't as much and I can just right. get more into that flow experience. Um, you know, it's being in IT as I am, or, you know, in technology support, kind of the nature of the game is to ping. We put out fires and, yeah. you know, we've got projects that are going on when we're not putting out somebody's fire. But anyway, it's a, it's an important thing to try and, you know, filter the, the information flood and and become more intentional and deliberate. And I'm totally going to check out the, the next InfoMagical Note to Self. That yep. If you haven't checked out the Note to Self podcast, that was one of, the, one of the things that Jason mentioned in one of our first shows. And that's had a huge impact on my life. Jason, you are helping to shape my life. <laughs> you know, as, as you know, that's the cool thing about podcasts and and. The, the the white or the positive side of our connected landscape, right, is we don't have to go to class and pay to get a degree in order to get exposed to some real powerful ideas that can shape how we think and what we do. And I would add one other thought to teachers that if you're struggling with this in your classroom, don't be afraid to be the mentor to students that they need to help navigate these these difficult waters. I mean, I, I, I've had this conversation a half dozen times with groups of teachers in the last six months. It's okay to tell kids to turn their phone over for a minute. It's okay to say, you know, you're the student in charge of looking up information and you are going to focus on something else. It's okay to tell kids to write something down, too. There's a lot of ongoing um, and emerging uh, studies that are suggesting that uh, writing is an important cognitive process for remembering and processing information. And I'm not saying I, I, I really try hard and ever to become a zealot about one particular aspect of particularly educational psychology, but, you know, I think you should be empowered to, to experiment in your classroom and to mentor students and try and experiment and fail and try again and, and experiment and fail to try to find these on a daily basis. And I think that's a really key part, I, I think, of being a teacher in 2016 with this extraordinary landscape we kind of you know, stumbled into. And to recognize that boundaries are essential. That goes back to the idea of, of too many choices being paralyzing. My mother-in-law with her with her Alzheimer's, you know, we, we see this. I mean, you can walk into 7-Eleven. I don't, you know, whether you have a neuro, uh, an identified neurological or mental condition or not, you know, it is just crazy to see how many kinds of beef jerky. I don't know if it's as popular in Montana, but here in Oklahoma, oh my gosh, you know. Um, but part of what we need to do is, is kind of curate the choices and then help, and help students choose. And then those are things that eventually you need to do, we need to do for ourselves. But uh, really important skills. And um, I guess that I can take that as a segue maybe to, to my first article. And, and that is one 
uh, about Microsoft. And uh, Microsoft has just launched a project management app called Planner. And the, the thing I was really most excited about once I learned it was tied to Office 365, which we're not doing at school and I really hope we don't ever do, uh, although maybe I should keep an open mind, but I don't have one now, um, is to compete with Trello and Asana. And, you know, I had an opportunity to work for AT&T for a couple years, uh, 2006 to 2008, um, you know, then was for a while independent for about five years. Uh, one of the things I walked away from that totally solid on was how important project management is, how oftentimes challenges in our lives are just another project that we need to manage, whether it's on a small scale or it's on a real big scale. And so I, I've never gone through like the Microsoft project training. I was just looking at a, at a flyer. I usually don't you know, pay much attention to the, the unsolicited mail that I get, but there's a, a project management workshop that's coming up this fall and it's not tied to a particular piece of software, but, you know, figuring out how we break a project into digestible pieces, how we set up milestones, how we identify the actionables, and then we both hold ourselves as well as others accountable is huge. And, you know, Kudos and shout out to the, the K-12 online conference, which will be in its 10th year this year, uh, which, by the way, if you're interested, we, we have not had very many. We have a great lineup of keynoters, which we haven't announced yet. We'll be announcing soon. Um, but we are we have the call for proposals out. And, you know, in helping organize that conference over the last 10 years, that using Google Docs and that has been a big part for me, a sandbox for me in terms of project management. Um, so I'm not going to use Planner, but I am really looking at Trello, I think, as something that we might start using in our department. Um, what do you think about project management, Jason? And, and what are your go-to tools as far as doing that in your personal life or your professional work? Uh, we use Asana at the Montana Digital Academy. Um, I mentioned in that article, and um, it's great because it allows you to single sign-on with Google, um, and based on your domain, so in our case, MontanaDigitalAcademy.org, it kind of you know focuses people into one you know, similar set of sets of projects. Um, we use the free version of it um, because that's what we can afford for project management software. But I couldn't agree more that that breaking down piece is really an important cognitive process that that I think uh, these tools can do an excellent job at. Um, and I, I wish I remember book titles after I read them, but the, I read a book a couple years ago related to uh, information that college professors could utilize. Uh, based on how um, students, uh, especially younger students, may learn inside of the classroom. And one of the suggestions that uh, I've really taken to heart when I work with, especially younger college students, is that you kind of need to plan and help them plan things out um, in regards to what you're asking for, that it's not good enough just to uh, say an end goal in mind, especially for an emerging learner that may not have those pieces. And technology can very much help you do that. Uh, it could be as simple as just a big piece of paper um, and assigning things out, but there are also excellent uh, online tools. Um, the Microsoft tool seems like it, it, it's got a lot of potential. I think Asana is a really excellent tool. There's literally hundreds of these available, many of them free. Some of them have premium versions available for free to students in schools, but um, really great stuff. And I think this is a place where, you know, it technology probably makes it better. And um, and I like that notion to you, Wes, too, the, the notion of planning goals and, and steps and, you know, adding that kind of cognitive process to it. Sounds good. All right. Where do you want to take us next? Let's see. Um, well, we probably have to do our obligatory uh, Apple is coming stuff. Um, I did post um, the somewhat interesting um, uh, guess at what will happen next week. Uh, now I've lost it, of course. Where are you? Was it, was it, was it App Store 2.0 or was that the... That's, that's, that's one of them. And actually, maybe I want to end on that one. But there was a... I think The Verge had a, a, a great um, stuff that we think is coming um, at the Apple. And they, they say that Siri is going to be probably one of the most prominent uh, uh, updates this year. That, of course, is something that's very interesting to me because I am in the process of studying um Siri, but uh, they said that was, I'll, I'll tell a Siri story while you're pulling up your list, and that was just an article I threw list. that said, Apple's Hey Siri helps mom call ambulance and saves the life of a baby. So I think it was in Australia. Um, I have... 
I had tried yeah. to turn that on and then hadn't. It was funny because when they were doing yep. this episode of the show, they had to, you know, kind of like they do with profanity, I think, beep it out because they didn't want every, everybody watching the show, I guess, their Siri to, to activate, which is one thing I think I first heard, um, Tony Vincent talk about, you know, the limitations of that. If, if you've got, you know, your card of 20 iPads and you have, hey, Siri turned on, that's probably not a good thing to, you know, to, Simultaneously in the classroom, so that kind of thing. <laughs> individual, you know, user. Yep. Um, so, shoot. What is this? My my Lansing Bluetooth speaker somehow was just picking up my voice and just just talk to me. That that's kind of weird. All right. So yeah, there we have related weirdness. All right, you found your article. Yep, I did. So The Verge says that it's mostly software uh, uh, updates, but uh, Siri is likely to get a number of enhancements. Apple Music, which according to uh, articles in the last six or eight weeks, could really use the enhancement. I'm not using um, Apple Music uh, at this particular point. I did the trial and didn't see a need for it. Uh, Apple Pay would get some enhancements. iOS would get a lot of new features. Um, and then, you know, mostly OS updates. The one thing I did say that was super interesting was that there would be no, no hardware updates, uh, this year. And then I saw Wes, you had posted up an interesting article that suggested that there's already, um, uh, replacement parts for the new upcoming 13 inch MacBook Pro. Um, in the supply chain, uh, which suggests that at least something is coming sometime. This right. Year. It looks like new new laptops are coming later in 2013 in time for the Christmas season. Um, that's one of the things I'm watching most closely just because we'll be refreshing some of our Apple hardware. And um, having been testing and really liking this new MacBook, I also am pretty well convinced now that we're going to have to have just more external connectors and either go pro or, or air for our teachers. But I am also, uh, you know, at the time of this time of year, got to send out an email to all of our users saying, Hey, please don't upgrade because, um, the last update, you know, killed all of our printers. It took a little while for the smartboard software to be updated. The main thing was printers, though. And we, you know, regularly during the year, because we'll ask people to bring their machines in. And if we re-image them, we have all the printer drivers and everything set up. And that's that's kind of our preferred way to do that. But, you know, sure. it's, it's that time of year when, you know, on the 13th, we're going to hear about a new OS. And it may, you know, it may be something. I've gone to cloud-based software pretty much for invoicing and, and just about everything I rely on because I used to be in that same, you know, kind of waiting game where it's like, you know, what, what is my software? Am I going to, am I going to break my, you know, important things like sending an invoice to somebody? Right. Not that I've been doing that a whole lot recently, but anyway, it's, um, it, you know, it'll be exciting, but I don't, I personally um, hope that we're going to see Apple uh, really do, uh, do more in the AI sphere and in the, um, in the sphere with, with Siri in terms of getting it to, to, you know, respond more, not just to a single prompt, you know, and sending us off to Google. I don't know. I think, I think Google really has the lead in all that with Google now and how much information, um, that they collect. But, um, you know, it's, this is, it's exciting to see what competition is going to bring and Apple's, you know, continuing to, to be one of the most innovative companies. So, um, it's, uh, this particular conference is probably, you know, I think always tends to focus on hardware. So, yeah. Sure. So one other thought, software, and this software, is a sorry. really excellent Fix software. That. Yeah, <laughs> software. Um, uh, we'll edit that out in post. Um, so the um, um, the other article that's really really excellent, and and I and actually went back to it twice today because it, I thought a lot about how this might impact me, and I'm guessing Wes, this probably impacts you too, but. Um, the Verge is reporting today that um, Apple is attempting to evolve the App Store to deal with ongoing changes in the marketplace. And one of the things that the article makes a, a really great uh, point about is that, you know, the the rumors that, you know, we would all be in an app economy at some point, you know, that, that evolves over time. It seems to be kind of big players and really small players seem to be doing okay. Medium-sized development houses are not. And one of the ways they're going to address this is by promoting and allowing for people to subscribe to apps. So you can um, get in an app, um, that app itself, may be 
Um, you know, a dollar a month, I would hope that they maybe focus a little more on micropayments. So 49 cents a month, $2 a month. And then you obviously get all the updates over time on that particular application. Um, but it, it's going to cost you to continue to use that. And, and I thought really closely about this. Um, and I don't like this, actually. I think this is, would be really challenging for me if for no other reason than, um, you know, if I have to start paying 15, 20, 25, 15, or 50 dollars a month for the applications that I use the most because this model somehow takes off, this means I use a lot less apps. I mean, I don't, I think this, this ends up creating the same problem, but, some people will benefit greatly and the vast majority will not. And, and being an iOS family, Wes, um, I imagine this impacts, you know, your, your kind of, uh, family ecosystem of devices as well. Oh, it does. You know, and that whole thing about what's it worth for me personally to pay on a monthly basis. My wife and I were literally looking at money stuff last night and talking about, uh, pruning some things back, you know, cause it could be kind of creep when it's a uh, $15 here and $10 here. And then at school also, when you talk about a per seat license, um, we're facing that with Adobe, yeah. you know, Adobe has moved to the cloud. I just, I just act. And again, I don't, if you're a vendor, hopefully you're not just going to call cold call me. I I'm still, it's, that's not a, not a fun thing. Uh, but I am visiting with our Adobe folks because um, we've, you know, kind of been hobbling along or I don't know how much we're hobbling, but we're using the client side. We purchased it and own it software and we haven't gone to, you know, the, the cloud based stuff. And, and so they've got some, some things educationally. I think if you're up to over a hundred seats and then you, you know, how, you know, it's, it's so, so many licenses and then it's simultaneous users and all this kind of stuff. That's, it's kind of the way that the web is, is moving, but I don't necessarily think that, all of that is beneficial. It it does drive home the question, though, you know, what is worth paying for? And when you've got lots of free software options and you've got lots of choices, I mean, I haven't personally had Adobe Photoshop for over 10 years, and, and I really haven't missed it that much. Right. I mean, yeah, there were some cool plugins that could do some neat beveled text and things, but, you know, other than that, I mean, being able to create layered collages and, and you know, do different kinds of, of image editing, it's, it's not as important, but... I will say on the Apple Music stuff on the personal side, having uh, especially two, well, an almost teen and a, te- and a teenage daughter, they are pretty vehement that we keep the Apple Music subscription. And who wouldn't as a teenager yeah. want to have almost the entire library of the world, you know, available of and then be able to say, hey, I mean, I still have in our garage. Well, maybe my wife threw it away. We had the 10 disc CD changer. Remember those, you know, Sony 10 disc baby going on the car trip. And then, you know, you'd hit a pothole or you'd be, you know, sometimes we go camping and anyway, you'd, you'd realize that, yeah, that's, you know, it's not a record, but it still does skip. I remember how glorious that was to be able to have 10 CDs of music and think about all the hours of, of entertainment. And anyway, it's these kind of things we've, They've just happened so rapidly, you know, Netflix becoming a norm, uh, not being able to or not having to face ads, being able to binge watch, you know, a series uh, and then, you know, the, the, the access to music. I really I've heard Ian Jukes and probably Alan November and other other, you know, conference speakers, you know, kind of lay these things out about how many years it took for adoption of the, the radio and then the television and then the cassette tape and then the CD and you see it ever narrowing. You know, and it just wasn't very many years ago that we said, yeah, there's this thing called Netflix. And now, I mean, the, the amount of content consumed there, um, you know, or the amount of shipments that are going by Amazon, that these stuff, these things have happened real quickly. So I, uh, I, yeah. I do think it's good for app developers on a coding side. We've talked about STEM and the importance of having kids, you know, learn to code and learn to not just do the hour of code, but, you know, really learn about computational thinking. And it goes, that ties into problem solving as well. Um, I hope that whatever happens with the app, the Apple ecosystem, as well as Google's, um, can be beneficial for the independent yeah. developer, you know, because my perception yeah. has been that whole app gold rush uh, was very, was kind of overblown. And while you have a few cases of folks who have um, done well, yeah. I think those are the outliers and, and it tends to be these, you know, larger companies that are, are doing well with it. So hopefully it'll be beneficial for uh, small time app developers and, and enable people who have good ideas to, to be able to, to make a decent living. Uh, then they'll just have to figure out how to get their, uh, their, their health care. They're living here in the United States, but that's, that's another job. <laughs> yep. Yeah, very much so. All right. 
Okay, go ahead. I, I go think ahead. I'll do a security one. I one. actually grouped your, your complex password if you want to segue to that. But um, I saw this on Ars Technica sure. on June 5th. Uh, TeamViewer confirms the number of abused user accounts is, quote, significant. Okay, we are like the frogs being slowly, you know, boiled in the water, and, and, and it just keeps on getting turned up and up, and we're not noticing, but it's just basically every single week. There's another um, – ooh, it looks like you got you had some serious red, like you had the cops were outside, you know, flashing their lights or whatever there, you know. Sorry. If you're if you're uh, just listening to this, you, you, you missed that bright red flash in Jason's face. Um, <laughs> so um, we're, we're we're hearing about the different hacks, right? Verizon's hack now, and then it's Target, and then it's T-Mobile, and now it's it's TeamViewer. Um, this was interesting because this last fall, I had a chance to do a series of five keynotes to India over video conference, and uh, this is a cool thing about podcasts because the 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 guy in charge and and that group. He had listened to my podcast and read my blog so much that like he knew which examples he, he helped coach me on my presentation and, and then coached me for the examples that he'd heard me mention or, or write about later. But anyway, team viewer was the absolute gold mine tool that we used because again, this is kind of mind blowing. It's basically 12 hours difference over to India. And this wasn't just in Delhi and Bangalore. This was in uh, some more, uh, well, you say rural. I mean, there's probably millions of people, but it was it was in five different parts of India, and there were some people from real rural areas. They the bandwidth was okay, but in some of the hotels it wasn't great. So my whole presentation I had sent over as a PowerPoint, and then the videos uh, downloaded and had them you know have them locally. And so I was controlling it on TeamViewer. And if you're not familiar, right. TeamViewer um, allows you to, uh, I guess, among other things, remote control a computer. And so, you know, I'm sitting at my house. This is like before school because I can do this keynote and then go to work at, at 8 o'clock. Um, I had to get up like at 4.30 in the morning when it's dark and have my lights on and everything. But uh, it, I had not used TeamViewer before, and it was great. So that segues into your article talking a little bit about password security because we're just going to keep hearing more and more about this, right? And we need we're, those of us that are involved in IT and security are probably just going to keep on encouraging people, change your ways, don't use the same password. Right. Um, so I will say that, uh, by the way, TeamViewer is, is, a, is interesting from another standpoint that um, there are some really excellent videos on YouTube of these are mostly kind of Linux, Linux geeks um, that are doing this, but they will try to scam uh, scam scammers to call them and say, you know, your computer has been compromised and we want to, um, you know, log on to your computer and get rid of the virus. And what they're doing is they're using TeamViewer and probably my guess in, in a lot of cases in order to kind of decrease the, uh, um, the, uh, um, the chance that they'll get caught, you use compromised accounts for that purpose. But, um, the watching them try to figure out what it is and they don't figure out that it's Linux and, um, it's nerdy fun for all. But, um, the, the Lifehacker article is really interesting because it actually takes a pretty uh, detailed security conference presentation and it essentially, um, uh, uh, you know, tells you the practical, ways of implementing those particular strategies. And part of what they talk about is that even complex passwords, if they're short enough, will oftentimes be hackable. And if you have a, a password that's eight characters or less, um, it's not that hard to buy a machine. If you're serious, like if you're a hardcore, um, uh, 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 I guess, hacker, for lack of a better way of putting it, you uh, could you might be able to get access to the kind of hardware that could do things like hack a, a particular strategy uh, or use a use a hack strategy on a, a desktop computer. Apparently, Windows is susceptible to this, amongst other uh, operating systems that could get inside of your computer if someone really really wanted to. And I think it's really a balance. And and I know Wes, as as an IT director, I'm sure you have some some thoughts you share with folks related to this. It's Understanding you probably need to be using a different good password for every website you use, but also understanding that as an example of this, you can't necessarily hold the hands of uh, your end users too much because that can create its own problems. As an example of that, I've been in buildings before where there was a, a necessity to change passwords once a month, once every three months, once every six months. 
kind of very complex passwords. And the end users were, you know, never given strategies to deal with that. And so uh, comes the yellow sticky note and the, the sticky note goes on the screen with your complex password on it. And then it's not a complex password anymore. And so I think it's a real balance here. And, and Wes, I do think that you are right that we are going to at some point, um, have to come to terms with this, that I think it's going to become more complex than less. And, you know, it's, it, we we're largely saved right now by the fact that our credit cards will, you know, not hold as long for those things. And that oftentimes they get dealt with pretty quickly, but we are in a world that um, yeah, is risky definitely. and, and you know, has risk involved in it. And it's important for us to be cognizant right. that. Thanks for joining us. Uh, feel free to put into the chat any questions you'd like to, where if you want to follow along with our links, um, edtechsr.com slash links. Uh, we're talking about some of our security news from, from this week. We need to actually, as a school, uh, one, of the, one of the things that we need to look at is uh, you know, what we want to adopt for a password policy in terms of enforcement. Um, and so uh, I guess you got to be careful how much you disclose about your password policy and you don't want to be targeted right. or whatever. But you know, universities that I've been affiliated with in the past have tended to be uh, pretty rigorous about saying, you know, every six months it's got to be new. And, and just like you said, for that article, they tend to say, you know, make it complex. But I liked in that article, which I did read, by the way, um, that they talked about the value of the password manager. Um, and the value of uh, Google's tool for Chrome, the one lock, actually it's about a year old. That was announced at I.O. last June. Um, it's called, was it called Google one lock or something? Um, anyway, I am going to take that on as a personal goal next year. And, and I have, as I've individually worked with teachers, really encouraging everyone to have a safe and secure place where they store their passwords if this is one of these basic computer literacy st things, and, and maybe you all live in a world where everyone is uber advanced, but in in the world where I live, well over 50% of our users are not using a password manager. And, you know, if, yeah. if, we, if we take them to a different computer that they're not regularly logged in on, they can quickly be lost, you know, getting in because of yep. the way that some passwords are saved and things like that. So, yes, it's going to – I've probably – I've done more videos this year about security um, and being the IT guy now and, and director. It kind of I, – I feel a little bit of the, the pressure of that. But um, I, I definitely think that's – it's one of these things that I, I was helping one of our, our – uh, our right. kindergarten teachers uh, last week with this. And she's like, my dad could use this because he's always having trouble. And it's like, yes, share it with your dad, you know, help your dad. So do you use one pass one password or M secure or? Uh, what yeah. Password? Yeah. Uh, last pass is my preferred is my preferred. Yeah. And I even buy the, buy the pro edition for that. And, um, you know, and I also, um, I do try to use a different password every website. It's not easy to do. Um, I have go-tos. Um, I recently stopped using my, uh, <laughs> the passwords I came up with during college and I am not young. So that was a time ago when some of those passwords first came to reality. And the other thing that I, you know, I also advise a lot of, of, of family members. Uh, my, my parents, um, my, my parents-in-law, they're all four of them have laptops and cell phones and are, you know, pretty savvy uh, uh, tech users um, as, as uh, retired folk. And um, it, you know, like they, it, this is challenging for them. You know, and I think that, that 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 that's exactly right. We need to be also um, not only helping our, our our colleagues as professionals. We need to be doing the same thing as it relates to um, making sure that um, um, uh, that that family members and, and those that that maybe lack the savvy to understand why Here's this a is thought. so important. And if anybody you know um, takes me up you know, on this, uh, and does it, let me know. Well. Shoot us a, a tweet. Let let me know. I'd love to to amplify this. Uh, I I think the talk about security and passwords really quickly has become wah, 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 you know, that people are hearing that and we hear it's just normalized, another hack, another hack. And you hear about just millions and millions yep. of records. I mean, some of the stuff that China's gotten about military yep. records, I don't know, we're, we're numb to it. I just mentioned to my wife this week yep. that next year, uh, after we get all the student information system migration, behind, hopefully behind us, um, I want to go back to some of my, the roots I love with EdTech, which is interactive writing and student blogging and digital storytelling. 
And I think that if we want to help get the attention and possibly change the behavior of folks in our organizations, and I would be find one, two, three yeah. people who have experienced identity theft or have had some kind of an incident happen to tell their story and then share that within the community. Because I've been convinced for a long time that yeah. local stories resonate more deeply and more effectively than stories from out of state or, or across the country or the world. Um, and so anyway, that's that's just a thought uh, as far as security and that might be a way that we can we can just help encourage people yep, to not great. just hear, hear the wah 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 but to go oh my gosh did you know mrs so-and-so or you know that somebody we actually are connected to uh, because I've, I've heard some of those stories before um but it's not something that we've actively encouraged so i mean that's a little bit of a different track rather than the it guy saying change your password hey let's right. listen to miss so-and-so tell her story about you know, how they only found out when her daughter was trying to get a college loan that her social had been, right. you know, taken yep. years before. And, you know, she had all this, you know, thousands of dollars of debt in her name and it took years and years to clean up. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know that it also does play a fear card and that's not my favorite thing to do. But on the other hand, uh, having a balanced approach and helping people be realistic and not just, you know, drink the drink the Kool-Aid and think that all the ed tech stuff is, is fantastic. But saying, you know, look, these are powerful tools and we've got to trying to be savvy about, about them and uh, and be smart the way we use them. So good yeah. for you using different passwords. Uh, I'm 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 moving in that yeah. in that direction, but I'm I'm still not completely where I need to be. So your encouragement is needed. Right. And then one one other thought too that if you haven't looked it up, um, and, and this may be a, a, a how to we could do on a future podcast here is that you're not using two factor authentication for you know your most important accounts at the very least. Uh, for me, that means uh, my email accounts, which are really central to uh, pretty much everything else I do. Two factor authentication asks me to identify not just by password but by a physical, usually a physical object. So in my case, uh, a six digit number, whatever I log into a machine with my Google account that it doesn't recognize will ask me for my password, my long, complex password, and my six-digit number, which comes via text message on the cell phone. So you need those two things together. It's two-factor authentication. Plus, and, plus and, uh, that's what I'm using for two-factor on all the WordPress sites now. It's, and uh, it's you know, you got, got the biometric, mm -hmm. use your thumbprint ID, but you know, being able to log nice. in... Um, that it's, uh, of course, you're trusting that company. There's lots of different layers, but I did a presentation for our local WordPress users group uh, a couple months ago yeah. about that. And yes, there's no no guarantees, but it certainly raises the bar considerably yeah. that that particular account is not going to be compromised if you've got the two factor going for you. All right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. See. I guess uh, I guess we can talk a little bit about. Um, about the uh, the AlphaGo, I don't know. We keep on coming back to some different some different themes here, but uh, the artificial intelligence uh, race. Um, Google has got AlphaGo, and they're going to uh, now. It, it we had news a few weeks ago, or maybe it's been a few months ago, where um, a very high level Go player, which is known as a more complex game than chess, was defeated by Watson, I think, and that's IBM's. Um, right. uh, supercomputer that also won Jeopardy and things like that. But now um, we're going to uh, see Google take on the, the best player. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, 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 I sort of feel like some of the AI stuff that's happening is, is a little bit veiled, and we're, we're hearing about it in these kinds of things like, oh, isn't that fun? It, it won Jeopardy. Oh, isn't that fun that a, you know, a guy got beat who's a real good Go player or whatever. I don't know that we've, we've seen the impact of AI you know, yet in the classroom beyond perhaps the truly um, not differentiated, but adaptive learning platforms. And there's a couple of those I've mentioned that my wife, you know, uses with her third and fourth grade students for math. Right. Uh, it's not front row um, dream box they use for math, which is truly adaptive. And then, um, you know, some of right. the, yep. I guess, yep. more differentiated uh, literacy tools that they use, like uh, Myon Reader and Lexia and some of those. And in fact, I'll give a shout out. Yep. She's going to present at iPad Palooza in here in a couple weeks down in Austin, uh, a, uh, a session about literacy apps. And um, anyway, I, I guess that's the way that AI may maybe or that kind of technology that that is learning, you know, as we go along is is impacting us in the classroom. 
that's that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, though, as far as what's worth paying for. Because I don't think a, a simple you know image editing program, for instance, is worth paying for. There's so many free tools and options you can have to do those kinds of functions. But when you look at something that's right. truly yeah. adaptive sure, sure. And, and is just incredibly powerful and it's transformative, it allows your students to be able to learn in ways and, and to go further you know, than you ever could yep. take them yourself. Those kinds of things are worth paying for in, in, in the classroom, and that's part of our challenge as we look at curricula and textbooks and how we fund schools and things like that is, is finding ways to put those kinds of tools in the hands of not only students but teachers as well. Right. Yep. And I think that uh, um, especially for those complex games, although, you know, it's important to note that um, the – in the case of, of, of game playing machines that you want to make sure you understand how they work differently than, um, than a human brain does. As an example of this, you know, the, the, what a computer's doing to play a game is it's working out every possible scenario in, in a matter of seconds and then picking the most likely best move based on that scenario. A computer's very good at that and a human being is not. A human being thinks much more slowly and, um, can't process as quickly, but we have incredible parallel computing power. Like, we can do so many things at once, many of them automated, whereas computers struggle with that a little bit, even very advanced processors. And I think starting to understand more deeply, you know, why those particular platforms are, are powerful, I think is an important piece to understanding or having tech savvy about, uh, you know, where that process is going. So it's, it's, it's really interesting stuff. And, um, you know, I, don't don't be fooled that uh, it's not it's not a parlor trick, um, but it's something. Okay, well I think it's it's that time of, it, of the show when we we're gonna we're gonna hear some stories that are that are oblique. They're not having to do with ed tech. You know, it's like uh, reaching reaching down into that chest and uh, pulling pulling out an old an old photo or an old old album. So, um, you got a a random fact from the history of Jason Neifer to share with us tonight. Um, let's see. Um, I do. I'm starting to plan an over overseas trip for February 2016. I think it's going to be the time. It may be complicated because we might be um, having a Swedish exchange student um, uh, come and live with us next year. Family friends of my my wife's family. But um, I think either probably November or February we're going to head somewhere off. And so the planning has begun. You, so you, this would be a trip to Sweden travel for you guys. So. Or? Um, Uh, no, in this case, well, we, we've talked about Sweden as an as an as, a, as an option, but um, I get to choose this time, and um, I I've narrowed it down: Eastern Europe, maybe Southern Europe, maybe uh, maybe a stopover in Iceland, maybe. Um, I really would like to go to the Czech Republic and to Hungary and to Poland, um, um, but uh, that's coming soon. So, and I'm a big traveler. I my wife and I love to travel. Um, we've been great travel partners since we first uh, traveled to Europe together in 2000. Have you uh, have month. you ever and, made any connections um, in Europe with, with any of the independent schools or the or the DoD schools or or any of those places? You know, uh, maybe I'll tell this as a story. The, the way no, that I no, was able not, to go to Brazil yet. for spring break this year was uh, because of it's like this is a you know multiple dominoes that kind of fell years ago. The K twelve online conference um, became acquainted with uh, Sylvia Tolosano, who is a phenomenal educator and really into literacy and student voice and and writing and blogging. Um, Last November, Shelly and I are in Miami, Florida for the Miami Device Conference, just walking back from the general session and just strike up a conversation talking about STEM. Sylvia says, oh, let me introduce you to my friend who coordinates professional development for all the independent schools in Latin America. They happen to be looking for a STEM you know, workshop. And so that led to, led to conversations and wow. some, some Skype connections. It really is amazing to me how much, and this is at least in my experience, uh, ed tech consulting and being able to do presenting, it absolutely comes down to personal connections and relationships. You know, um, I am excited to be able to, to be sharing yeah, three sessions you know, at ISTE because, yep. you know, I've not done that many sessions at ISTE, but probably circa 2009, 
you know, shared a session. There was one gentleman in the, in the, uh, audience who was, was in Qatar. And, you know, that, that was why I went to Qatar and flew across the ocean first class from Houston with all these oil guys. And then there's right. one prior, the teacher, you know, sitting here going, the shrimp cocktail and, and champagne's <laughs> really amazing. Gosh, I'm sure going right, right. down there in the deserts of Iraq right now with, you know, I mean, that was some serious cognitive <laughs> dissonance. But anyway, it, it, those relationships are good and, uh, liking travel as you do, uh, that might be something I'll keep keeping an, an ear and an eye open for because, um, you know, ev- everybody, you know, every organization hopefully has somebody who has an eye for professional development, for professional learning. And, you know, how are we going to move the needle forward with with our teachers? And so anyway, that'd be something my wife is. She taught in Germany for three years uh, before we were married and has always dreamed of, you know, going back and loved, you know, traveling oh, wow. and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, maybe we'll see see Jason Neifer making making the rounds of uh Eastern Europe at some point. All right. Well, you want to do uh, a geek of the week for us? Awesome. Sure. Um, I, I think I maybe made some references to this particular piece because it delights me so much, but there's a super excellent series on HBO. It's called Silicon Valley on um, it. Um, you know, it has salty language and adult themes, but assuming you are not a squeamish, uh, a younger person on um, that's my understanding is a very uh, close parody of, of actual things that happen um, in um, uh, Silicon Valley startup culture. Um, lots of jokes about making the world a better place. Uh, lots of jokes about uh, uh, you know, fast failing companies and the embarrassment of riches that sometimes comes with uh, uh, fast evolving companies. The notion of um, you know, quickly pivoting when your product doesn't work out. It's now currently its third season. It never ceases to uh, 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 delight me in amazing ways. Um, it is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful sitcom. So I strongly recommend, if you like um, absurdist parodies about actual things that happen, Silicon Valley HBO, super you, excellent uh, HBO media on HBO Now and HBO Go. Subscription, or are you opting for an a la carte? Uh, how, do you, how do you get your HBO? I am a cord cutter, very happy cord cutter. I have been for I think five or six years. Uh, well, well before the the larger movement. Um, and the agreement I made with my wife was that I could buy nice, as much nice. media up to the amount we were paying for cable. Okay. And uh, the answer is is that I never even come close. Like yeah, I never suffer. And I have a Netflix account, and I have Hulu Plus without the commercials. And right now, I happen to be. Subscribing to HBO now because of Silicon Valley uh, and Veep, two great sitcoms on HBO. What is residential and I never even come close downstream ever, and upstream ever, bandwidth ever in Missoula, Montana look like these days, and how much do you pay for it? Um, I have a second tier account, which is uh, you know the top consumer tier in most cases. You can buy one up, although I don't know what the down oh, and up is. I have sixty awesome. down and that's thirty awesome. up, that's and great. I'm paying fifty nine ninety nine. We're paying for a hundred a hundred down, and and I think I think it's only maybe like ten or twenty up, but we we regularly get over a hundred down. But sometimes we'll have four members of the family streaming Netflix simultaneously. Which incidentally, yeah. we've we have plays going on uh, too. Well, all three of our kids, our sons is running sound, and then both daughters are in the shows so they just came in but this was one of the first nights i didn't have to say everyone you know turn your netflix off so that's good well <laughs> um and, and i would have one other note um that's all right. It seemed really all important right. a second when I said well, I appreciate the, I will add one of the notes. Uh, and it's recommendations gone. So of, back of media to, you. to consume uh you know it's it's interesting how uh we find those things how we discover those things and um you know, some sometimes those can be you know just entertaining time wasters, and then sometimes they can they can lead who who knows where they're going to lead. So um, I, I do find myself on that note using our Apple TV frequently, just kind of with YouTube and subscriptions. You know, seeing that again, it's like where the algorithm. And I'm sorry, I don't know if that's AI, but it's yeah. an algorithm. You like this, so you'll like this. You know, and finding things, and then also just kind of checking out. I'm a big PBS fan. Um, you know, and then there's National Geographic. There's some other things. So just kind of, you know, jumping into some different apps and, and things like that. And I've kind of, I've done some thinking too about how, 
you know, how, how does media become relevant and, and, and make its way into the living room, right? That's the best screen in everybody's house. So, um, that'll be interesting to see what Apple, by the way, announces, <clears throat> if anything, uh, in terms of WWDC, because, um, I was just thrilled that they have the apps, the app store. In, on Apple TV, right? That was an unanticipated thing that Steve Jobs originally yeah. wasn't going to do any of that. All the iPhone was going to have was Apple created and branded apps. But, you know, it turned out that having the, the app store was really uh, the huge engine of, of innovation and creativity on, on the device. So my geek of the week is a Minecraft and coding opportunity. Um, there is a great group in California that's called Connected Camps, and they run after school and summer camps for kids. I have two pretty avid Minecrafters in our home. One is 18 and one is almost 13. The almost 13-year-old last summer participated in the summer camp, and then they ended up making it free. The, the way it works basically is for preteens um, generally, and they uh, you have to you pay, and and so and there's some verification in terms of identity. So you know parents are getting are getting kids in, but then they've got moderators that are on there, and Rachel just loved it. She had such a great time. And, uh, it's, it's one of these flat world kind of experiences too. And you, and you, we have these concerns. Are we getting outside enough? Are we spending, you know, too much time on the screen? Uh, but it didn't matter that nobody in the Oklahoma City area, no one was offering a Minecraft camp like this. You know, she was, was able to virtually participate and then it became something that she, uh, she did on an ongoing basis, you know, throughout this year at different times. So they're offering some coding camps, which are going to use, uh, there's a turtle, it's called Turtlecraft or something like that. It's or Computercraft. It's a um, uh, plug-in or or mod. I guess a mod is the word for Minecraft uh, that allows allows to do coding. And our middle division computer teacher had played with that a little bit. And I'm not as excited about that one. It's if you remember Cur Turtle logo and and that kind of thing. It it ends up you know getting getting kids to to code to move mm -hmm. things around, but. On July 15th, I am going to be doing a Minecraft challenge camp for, I think, third through sixth graders, we said. And uh, that that filled up faster than any other workshop in, in this uh, coding organization, you know, history that we've been doing. So I, I know that Minecraft is like dynamite when it comes to young kids. And it's really pretty amazing to see what kids can creatively do. Um, but, of course, you also have to beware of the... Um, you know, the troll-like nature which can can emerge when you know kids want to, you know, go grief go grief other people's stuff and you know needing to to be the adult <laughs> or you know in the case of Minecraft you use software that's going to help keep them in their areas and you know help prevent some of that kind of stuff from from going on. But anyway, it's going to be exciting. And uh, if anybody out there is listening and has suggestions, if you've done anything with Minecraft EDU with challenge builds, uh, we're probably going to do something along the lines of the treehouse challenge that I've done before. And then uh, at the end of not last year, but the year before um, we did a redstone redstone challenge with seven different things that kids had to make out of redstone, you know, with a team and uh pretty, pretty cool stuff. So I'm not, not, not a huge gamer and don't spend tons of time in Minecraft, but it was interesting to see my son who's 18 that when he finished uh all the graduation and all the IB tests and man, we're talking about a stressful May, you know, just all kinds of stuff. I don't know how many hours he spent, you know, constant in, in this new Minecraft world that he's downloaded where there's hundreds of additional blocks and things that they can make and build. And, you know, it's just, it's pretty staggering. So I have to think that, you know, developing those kinds of yeah. skills and being able to have an affinity for solving problems and working with people in those kinds of virtual environments are going to be things that will pay dividends down the road for our kids. So check out connected camps. That was a very long advertisement for them, but, uh, I think they're a great organization and would love to see more kinds of uh, after-school activities for kids like that that are focused not only on the playing, but also on the creating, the collaborating, the, the, the problem-solving, all that kind of stuff. All right. Well, Jason, where can people yep, find you online and continue to garner pearls of wisdom from you when they're not listening to our wonderful show? Probably the best place to find me is on Twitter. I'm at Tech Savvy Teach. I do regular blog at the NCC Tech Savvy Teacher blog, blog.ncc.org. And for more about my work um, with the state virtual schools, um, and I, I don't think I've pitched this one before, but um, the Virtual School Leadership Alliance, um, and I can't remember the domain name, so I'm going to 
there we go, virtualschoolalliance.org. Um, I also do post blogs, uh, blog posts occasionally there uh, as part of my day job as the assistant director of the Montana Digital Academy. And I would recommend um, their blog as a great place to uh, find out more about the great work that virtual schools are doing across the United States. So uh, let's connect. And if you're going to ISTE, um, you know, um, Absolutely, yeah. Half Jason's my shoulder. got, got news talk. that he's going to be there. So uh, we are going to try. I would like to, to see if we can uh, possibly even do a show uh, there, which is kind of kind of fun. Um, back in the early days of podcasting, I remember remember Women of the Web 2.0 or whatever that uh, that was like one of the first you know one yep, show yep. They, they had a live show. You know, so we'll, the Bloggers Lounge may not. Who knows? Things things continue to morph and change, but it it's going to be fun. Denver is great. It's always. A crazy. I think I'll probably spend yeah. more time in the vendor vendor hall now than I than I have because of the new tech director hat that I wear. I mean, some <laughs> years I've gone, I just haven't even gone there. You know, it's right. they hadn't been where I wanted to make connections. But anyway, yeah. if anybody is going to ISTE, uh, you know, seek us out, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be tweeting on on our accounts, I'm sure, as well as the EdTech SR to let you know. We should have some giveaways. Who knows? We'll, we'll come up with some kind of fun fun swag. I bet you could you could bring some Mon- a Montana swag, couldn't you? Why don't you bring some kind of a Montana swag thing? I'll bring an Oklahoma thing, oh, yeah. and uh, we'll give it away to some of our live live attendees, which we will probably have three, and one of them will they'll all be my family. But who knows? <laughs> all right, all right. Well, you can find awesome. me at so, wfryer on Twitter, speedofcreativity.org, and most weeks we're going to be here on Wednesday night. So thank you all for tuning in, and definitely continue to check out the blog. Check us out on iTunes. Give us a rating, and uh, if you want to find us on Stitcher or other places, uh, we want to hopefully be be on whatever podcasting platforms are out there. We're big big fans of the podcast genre, and hope that you will. Not only benefit from this, but also share the love and let other people know about the value of learning on the podcast. So thank you very much, and we'll see everybody next week. Good night.